Let's pray. God, almighty God, our Lord, our master, you are the ultimate supreme ruler of all things, the ruler of heaven and earth. You are holy. You're holier than any holy person or holy thing or holy place on earth. You are holier than the holiest beings of heaven. You are the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Yes, God, our master, our Lord, our Savior, our Father, you are worthy. Take the glory, the honor, the power. You created it all. You created it all because you wanted it. King Jesus, Lamb of God, you are worthy. Slain, slaughtered, pain in blood. You brought men. You bought men and women, boys and girls. Brought them back from all over the earth. Brought us back from slavery to sin. And brought us into God's kingdom family. You made us into a kingdom. Priest for our God. Priest to rule on earth. The Lamb. Jesus, our King, you are worthy. So take the power, the wealth, the wisdom, the strength. Take the honor, the glory, the blessing. To our Father God on the throne, to the Lamb, be the blessing, the honor, the glory, the strength. It all belongs to you and your Holy Spirit. For age after age after age forever. Amen. So uh, on May 24th, 17, oh, just a moment, I have to look up the date again. My memory didn't keep it. Uh, May 24th, 1738, uh, on a day like today, John Wesley went to a Bible study led by a group of uh, uh, people called uh, Mora Moravians. He went to uh, Aldersgate in London. Uh, and uh, while he was there, as they were reading the uh, intro, this is amazing, the things that God can use. As they were reading the introduction to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. Those were his words. He realized that Jesus was his savior, not simply the savior of the whole world, not simply uh, savior for, for good religious people, but his savior, that his sins were forgiven. And as a friend of mine uh, said, and because God reached John Wesley on May 24th, 1738, I am a follower of Jesus. All those years ago, 
a spark lit in the heart of a man in London, England, has spread and transformed lives all around the world. It is an awesome thing to think about. So I just wanted to take a moment to, to remind us of our roots as Wesleyans. We look back to the beginning of our branch of the Christian family tree uh, to that moment in a Bible study, May 24th, 1738, where Jesus became a real experience. His grace became a real experience for John Wesley. And the world has never been the same. I'd like to read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, uh, we'll be, I'll be reading the message paraphrase. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth who desperately needed to know about love. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't rejoice and party when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long 
before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that great day. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. The best of the three is love. Challenging words. I want to repeat the description of love. We are bankrupt, bankrupt without this kind of love. Love that never gives up, cares more for others than for self, doesn't want what it doesn't have, doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in truth, puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end, never dies. I, I want to encourage you to do something uh, this afternoon, this evening, maybe if you can't do it today, sometime this week, to, to, to find 1 Corinthians 13, either... Uh, in your on your device or you or, or in, in your bible and with a pen and paper start copying it but when when you get to that description of love put in your name mark is patient mark is kind Um, I know that as I do that kind of thing, as I've done that, I'm quickly reminded that I'm not always as patient as I ought to be, want to be. There, there are things that I, where I'm falling short, and I think it's a great way for us to be reminded that the standard of love is is a lot higher than just simply being nice. Even though, just between you and me, there are a lot of people who are struggling to be nice even today. Well, before I launch uh, into the message, again, I want to thank you for watching. Um, <clears throat> You've chosen to uh, to spend some time here with us online, and I appreciate it. I'm grateful that you chose to watch and be a part of the worship.
uh, excuse me. <coughs> uh, in, uh, we live in a broken world. I, I think that's probably pretty obvious these days, but just in case, uh, you know, the nature, nature has made it obvious with the, uh, with the pandemic, uh, with earthquakes and famines and droughts and floods and, and all kinds of things going on around the world. It takes nothing to, doesn't take much to discover that uh, things seem to be out of control. It's broken. Uh, human beings uh, prove that we are broken by all of our fighting, killing, torturing, taunting, cursing, insulting, uh, enslaving, and abusing each other in numerous ways. We demand our rights. We uh, demonize people who disagree with us. We destroy reputations with gossip and slander. Uh, we, we do anything we can to uh, ease the pain we cause others and ourselves. And the pain of living in a broken world. This morning, uh, uh, today, I want to invite you to uh, walk with me, work with me or as we go through Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. Uh, I think we're going to find some uh, prescriptions to help heal us and to help us bring healing to others and to our world as we go through these verses from Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but did not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Okay, so we have to stop right there. What? What is the flesh? Uh, Paul says, uh, don't use your freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What is that? Um, some English translations uh, use a, the term sin nature. I mean, there are other words that, they, but what are they talking about? Well, Paul, Paul uses this word flesh um, to pull together all the rebellious habits of thinking and acting that infect us. That all of these things that happen because we are broken people living in a broken world. Uh, our brokenness is caused by sin and sin saturates us. Sin saturates this fallen world. J.D. Walt wrote one of the best explanations of this uh, that I've seen, and I want to share a few highlights for, with you. He says, I mostly thought, thought of sin as a personal failure. Some way I failed to live up to a standard. 
I tend to define sin in a self-centered fashion. I am coming to understand, he goes on to say, I, I am coming to understand this is the essence of sin. Even the way I am defining sin, the essence of sin is to live in a self-centered way or to revolve life around myself. Let's, he says, let's consider how we might define the opposite of sin. I tend to want to say it is self lessness or unselfishness. But do you see the problem there? The, the very effort to define the opposite of sin still finds me caught up in the gravity of self. It leads to defining sin primarily in behavioral categories around individual success or failure which leads to a framework of pride and shame, self-righteousness, and self-loathing. He goes on to say, what we must have is a shifting of the center of gravity in our lives from self to something else. Naturally, we consider would consider the opposite of a self-centered life to be an other-centered life. And this is where we come up against our big problem. We are so trapped in the brokenness of our self-centeredness that even our best efforts to be centered around others become veiled efforts to benefit ourselves. If I give all that I have to the poor, J.D. Walt isn't saying that. I'm just reminding us of what we read a few moments ago. If I give all that I have to the poor, and I'm even burned at the stake as a martyr, and I don't have love, it's worthless. Without love, I am bankrupt. J.D. Walt goes on to say, it is impossible, it is impossible to overestimate the pervasive permeation or the invasive infiltration of the self-reference structure of our lives. This is the law of sin. It's in everything. The self-centered self -centered nature attitude is in everything. One cannot he goes on to say, one cannot behave or even repent their way out. The only way, the only way we can go from self-centeredness to other-centeredness is to be delivered by the greatest other in the history of others, King Jesus. Becoming other-centered, capital O, other-centered, or Jesus-centered. Becoming Jesus-centered is the secret to becoming others-centered. We must come 
he concludes, we must come to understand that all sin is all at once against God, against people, and against us. Finally, we must come to understand that we do not become free from sin by trying harder to not sin, but by living according to the law of love. What Jesus said were the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. So Paul says uh, to the Galatians, you, your purpose is to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to indulge that self-centered nature that saturates and permeates everything about us, but serve each other humbly in love, which is the only way to be delivered from selfishness, is to love. And he goes on in verse 14. Paul goes on in verse 14 and says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the nature of the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So, you know, pause for a moment. Paul is describing two differing ways of life, two contrasting ways of life, two ways of life that are 180 degrees apart. Uh, the first way of life, the life of living according to the flesh is uh, to live my life revolving around me, myself, and I, around my wants, my wishes, my plans, and my priorities. It's all about me. And we are so good at a lying to ourselves that as I say that, Many of us are going, well, that's not me. Hmm. So two different ways of life. One where life revolves around me, myself, and I, or a life that's centered on loving relationships and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It's, someone pointed out that, that you really can't walk with somebody unless you are with them, and there has to be some kind of agreement. Uh, cooperation is, is uh, you, you cannot walk with the Spirit, as Paul talked about in these verses. You cannot walk with the Spirit unless you are going with him, where he wants to go. So you have these two contrasting ways of life. Now, Paul is about to give us some details about the two different ways of life. Um, 
In verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh, the result of living a self-centered life, the, the actions that come from that, the, these are obvious, Paul says in verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, I'm going to pause and interrupt just for a moment just to, to let you know those are that's living for self-indulgent sensual passions. It's summed up in the line, it feels if it feels good, do it. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. It's it's the after the day I've had, I deserve, and you can fill in the blank. Someone has rightly uh, uh, pointed out that anytime we say, it's been such a rough day, I deserve, and whatever it is we fill in that blank with, probably not good for us. So the acts of the flesh, in verse 19, he says that the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. He goes on to in verse 20 to say that it's the acts of the flesh also include idolatry and witchcraft. What in the world? Well, I don't worship idols and I don't practice witchcraft. Well, let's talk about what those are. This is, the, he's talking about perverted priorities. He's talking about putting a person or a thing or myself above Jesus. That's what idolatry is. Uh, in another place, Paul says greed, the desire to have more and more and more and more and more and more is idolatry because we've put stuff above Jesus. And why would we put stuff above Jesus? We would put stuff above Jesus because stuff makes me feel good about myself. Stuff makes me, gives me the opportunity to give to people so that they think, well, what a great guy. Witchcraft it's simply a way of look, looking for a way to control Jesus, to, to, to make Jesus do what we want him to do. We fall into that trap the moment we start thinking, well, if I do this and this and this and this for Jesus, then he'll have to do this. Jesus does not have to do anything, and there is nothing we could ever do to put him in our debt and make him do what we want him to do. Paul goes on to talk about more acts of the flesh in the rest of verse 20 in the beginning of verse 21. He says, uh, the acts of the flesh include hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Broken relationships. That's a way to summarize those things. Broken relationships. Strained relationships. This is an area that catches all of us at one time or another. And they say, well, I don't do those things that he talked about in, in those earlier verses, and I don't really worship idols, and I'm not trying to control him. But you, I can say with certainty, you, you've been involved in some kind of a broken relationship somewhere along the line. 
But in verse 21, he goes on to include three more things. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The loss of control. That uh, No sense of right and wrong. Anything goes. It, it, everything's legal. He concludes verse 21 by saying, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, who live according to the flesh, those who live in that life that revolves around me, myself, and I, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now, think about the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray Part of it, one of the very first things we ask for is for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. So self the self-centered mindset prevents us, the, the, li the life that revolves around me, myself, and I, what I think, what I want, what, what I, 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 right? The, the self-centered mindset and life prevents us from being in the kingdom and experiencing the blessings of God's kingdom. Because when our lives revolve around us, he's not king in our lives. Verse 22. So the acts, acts of the flesh are obvious and destructive, and they prevent us. This whole life of, of living for ourselves prevent us from experiencing the blessings of God's kingdom. But, he starts in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the walking with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, verse 3. They're new mindset. This is a group of attitudes that replaces uh, the, the flesh, re replaces that me-centered life with an others-centered life. And look at what it is. There, there's love. He's already told us about that. But it brings with it joy. Instead of having pain that needs to be dulled or treated or eased. We have joy and peace. It's a brand new mindset. It's part of being in his kingdom family. The fruit of the spirit also includes forbearance. Uh, patience is another way that word is translated or long suffering. Uh, I like that. Well, I don't like that word because, well, it says suffering, but the result of this fruit of the Spirit working in our lives, of our walking with the Spirit, is that we can put up with things, be patient. We also be kind. The fruit of the Spirit is for forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. These are whole brand new relationship skills that are designed to seek the best for other people regardless of the cost for me 
Then he adds gentleness and self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. He, he gives the, the, the fruit of the Spirit involves this gentleness and self-control, the ability to choose the right thing, to do the right things, to have an attitude that says, I will do what I need to do to express love and to help others. Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we summarize this? What, what, what happens when the Holy Spirit works in us, when, when we live in in a regular walking, uh, breathe, living, breathing relationship with him. How does he change us? I mean, every relationship you have will change you. The closer you get to any person, it changes you. And, and so how does the walking with the Holy Spirit, how does being close to the Holy Spirit change us? But when we cooperate with the Spirit, when we cooperate with him, we walk with him, the Holy Spirit steadily produces all these facets of God's kingdom love, God's generous love. If you look at the description of the gifts of the, of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists here in Galatians, and you go back and look at this description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see it. wow, there's a lot of overlap. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we can experience the blessings of God's kingdom here and now. We need the Holy Spirit to be a part of that delivering us. We can't fix this on our own. Here's a sermon in a sentence for the day. Uh, we can never produce a fraction of one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's other-centered love. We can never produce a fraction of even one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's others-centered love. One more time. We cannot, we can never produce a fraction of one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's others-centered love. I'm going to remind you, J.D. Walt said it, I think he said it great, the best, it is impossible to overestimate the invasive infiltration of the self-referenced structure of our lives. It is impossible to overestimate, to overstate how deeply ingrained self-centeredness is in our lives. Loving others as our Heavenly Father does cannot grow from our willpower or our work. 
others-centered love grows from yielding to the Holy Spirit. Love that cares for others, no matter what it costs, cannot grow from our desire to look good. Or to feel good. Sacrificial love grows from the Holy Spirit's transforming presence in us and with us. It's completely beyond our ability to love like this. Only God can make it happen. God's other-centered love cannot grow from our good deeds or our promises to be better, or our deep commitment to spend more time in our Bibles and praying. These are good things. These are important things. But our efforts won't grow God's other-centered love. The love Jesus displayed when he died on the cross grows from the Holy Spirit's deliverance, his delivering us from our self-centered the holy love of Jesus cannot grow from the self-centeredness that saturates our souls. Holy love grows from our ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. We will never produce even one, uh, we will never produce even a fraction of one of the many facets of God's others-centered love. The fruit the Spirit produces answers the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed nearly the same words on the night before his crucifixion. Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, if you are willing, take this cup. But not my will yours be done. See, every time we yield to the Holy Spirit's guidance, he produces fruit in us. He produces God's others-centered love. Every time we depend on him, the Holy Spirit sends a little more of Jesus' others-centered love through us to others. Wow. Uh, I grew up singing the song in church called Deeper, Deeper in the Love of Jesus. Charles Price Jones is the, the one who wrote it. I just want to share the verses one, two, and three. Because this, should, I think, needs to be our prayer. Because we can't do it. We can't become loving people by gritting our teeth and making promises. Deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus, daily let me go. Higher, higher in the school of wisdom, more of grace to know. 
deeper, deeper, blessed Holy Spirit, take me deeper still, till my life is wholly lost in Jesus and his perfect will. Deeper, deeper, though it cost hard trials, deeper let me go, rooted in the holy love of Jesus. Let me fruitful grow. Rooted in the holy love of Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, draw us close to you. Captivate us. Captivate our hearts and our minds and our attention. Set our eyes on King Jesus. Overwhelm us with your love for us. Your voice is quiet, Spirit, but it is powerful. Your words are bright with the truth, the truth of your love. So we ask you to draw us close. Deliver us from a life centered around me, myself, and I, and bring us into a life that's centered around Jesus. Deliver us and fill us with the others-centered love of God. Amen. Well, again, I uh, want to thank you for watching. Um, if I could give you a gold star for waiting, uh, watching clear to the end, I would. Um, so just accept it now as a virtual gold star to put on your permanent record that you stay through to the end. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Jesus sends us to follow him in giving our lives for the world. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love involves weeping and wrestling as Jesus does, even now. You are sent to join Jesus as he invites others into his kingdom family. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. You are sent.